Welcome to the Space of the Waste, featuring host Melody Edmondson. Do you struggle with the right look to complement your body shape? Have you tried so many different looks and styles only to be disappointed time and again? You've landed on the right program. We'll show you how to make the right style work in your favor. Now, here is Melody Edmondson. Welcome to Voice America and the Variety Channel. This is your host, Melody Edmondson, and uh, you have tuned into the Space of the Waste. We have a great show planned today. I have a wonderful guest, Linda Rompel, who's going to come on in just a second. I just wanted to make reference that if you have not gotten caught up with my show and gotten book one and your body shape book, you can go to www.voiceamerica.com and then there'll be a search line and you put in the space of the waste, then another page will come up and you'll put in the space of the waste and it'll bring you to me and you'll go down and you'll decide which, which are all of the episodes you'd like to listen to. And you can do that anytime uh, tonight, this show will be on uh, later tonight and all the other shows are on there. Um, well, another thing I wanted to bring up is uh, book one is uh, the guidebook based your fashion guide based on body shape and the space of the waist. That's the first book to buy. And then you only need one other book. So when you get on Amazon and you see 25 books, don't worry, you only have to buy two. Okay, another thing I wanted to correct was on January the 11th, when Laura Tenzer and I were on, a comment was made by one of us about Chinese factories, and I know better, and I know she does too, but it was about uh, when you use different factories in different countries, whether it's China, Hong Kong, Pakistan, India, France, Italy, Germany, wherever, Turkey, wherever you do it, you yourself as the designer or the retailer are sending the specs over to that factory. This is what I did at specialty stores in the private label division. And so you're always sending them your specifications for how you want the garments to fit. And then they come back to you in form of samples. And then you measure them again and make sure they're right. And if there's any corrections, uh, you send them back and say, correct this, that, and so-and-so. And you can go this back and forth way for as many times as you want until the garment gets right. So that's that correction. And my guest, as I say, is Linda Rompel. She's my friend. I met her here in Arizona. She had a very big uh, career in buying, merchandising, all the way up in retail to GM. M, vice president GMM, and later went on into other areas and eventually opened up her own clothing line. So may I introduce Linda Rompel. Thank, thank you, you, Melody. Thanks thank for you. coming. Sorry. Thanks for being thank here. Thank you for having me. And I'm uh, excited to share some of my background. And I wished I would have known about your books many, many years ago. Um, I started, um, I guess when I was 12 years old, my mom had a friend who was a buyer, and that's what took me into or the route of becoming a buyer. And I thought that you wore white gloves and you went to lunch and, you know, um, it was just a very glamorous career. And realized later on there was a lot more to it. I started um, after college. I went for retail marketing and I uh, went to FIT um, in New York City. 
And then after college, I started in a department store um, in New York City. And from there, I realized that we were just buying a lot of brands, you know. So the fits were really inconsistent in women's apparel and probably most apparel from vendor to vendor because they did it based on the specifications they felt were right for their customers. And somehow I segued um, into specialty retailing and really found my niche because in specialty retailing, which are um, stores, say, like a Banana Republic and Ann Taylor, um, stores that, you know, uh, black and white, uh, White House black market, um, that they're really catering to a specific customer. And you get involved in so many facets because you do product development. You decide on all the styles and the fabric and the fits. And special sizes was um, one of the um, real eye-opening for me. I started um, with Lane Bryant and I was doing large plus sizes and where my strength was from the Missy market and just translating it and learned early on, it's not just adding fabric um, to go from a Missy garment to a plus size. There's a lot of nuances um, you know, in that size range. And we had a fit technicians, um, we had a special fit model and that the product in the store was very consistent and fit. And that's really what happens in most specialty stores. So that for me was a really great niche. So I learned about product development and fit um, so from a different um, uh, angle and actually hadn't realized that I was long-waisted. I knew that there were garments that didn't fit me right, like a shirtwaist dress, but I didn't really know why and didn't realize that I was in it very different and that the waistline hit me too high, um, that I was much better off if it was like a fit and flare without a waist or even an Ampere style where it was below the bust, that fit me much better. Um, and, you know, manufacturers try to cater and retailers to the average person but as Melody's books, you, you'll learn or that there are so many different body types. And Melody tells me I'm a, a triangle. <laughs> and I only thought I was an hourglass. I didn't know there was anything other than an hourglass or a square. So there are so many more. So her books are really helpful, particularly if you're not sure why things don't fit you right. So in my career in specialty retailing, I, it was very... Um, uh, it was a great career and it took me to many parts of the world. It took me to Asia, um, to many countries, China, Bangladesh, Hong Kong, Taiwan, um, India, as well as going to Europe on buying trips. Those were the most fun. You just saw something you thought was great that you wanted to copy, interpret, get some ideas from. Those were the best. You spent somebody else's money and you spent lots of money. It didn't really matter what the things cost. Um, and then interpret it for, um, for our customer. So that was really um, a great segue in, in my career. And you know, early on, I said something that I didn't even realize till honestly, probably 20 some odd years later. At one point I said, if I got tired of retailing, I would want to teach. And because I was a mentor to a lot of people that worked for me and as I moved up the ladder from assistant buyer to buyer, to um, being in a store to learn that area of it. 
um, to becoming a divisional merchandise manager where I was over a category of product to becoming what Melody said, a, a, v, a GMM, um, the vice president, which is a general merchandise manager where you're really over the whole, um, the whole store or whole category like women's. Um, and I really love teaching and I love mentoring people. And I had an opportunity um, to join the staff of Parsons School of Design in New York City. And I taught product development and I did it online. I did it for six years. Um, and I taught two classes each semester um, of product development. And it was a wonderful experience. And it was amazing how without ever meeting a student, you knew very early on who were the A's and who were the C's um, because of the quality of the work that they were posting and the questions that they were asking. But it really started, the course started from just concepts of um, them picking a category and developing it all through, um, through to the end. Um, so it was a really very gratifying career. Um, so and then along the way, I um, obviously changed jobs. I think retail is one of those careers, you know, you move from company to company. Um, sometimes it's for the additional um, money, you know, where to have to be honest, you know, money is a motivator as well as for the responsibility. And I was fortunate at that time that in the retail world, up until maybe a certain level that women, it was a, a, there wasn't a glass ceiling. You were able to um, you move up very readily that there were a lot of women, particularly in the women's area. I did women's apparel and accessories. Um, and then I um, was in New York City and also was very easy to change jobs without moving because there were so many companies that were based there. And then I joined um, Phillips Van Heusen and I joined the GH Bass Outlet Division. And really we had company stores and company stores in the outlet centers are different um, because they develop product for those stores. Like GH Bass, we had a footwear line, but 90% of the shoes in the store were makeups for our, for our store. And the apparel line that I did and the accessories were only in those stores. There was no, um, they were not in a Macy's or a Bloomingdale's um, or any of the major department stores because it just didn't exist at that time. Now you find some of it in Costco, that's a little different, but at that time, that's how it was. And then I uh, took on men's and men's, I was not my cup of tea. It was very boring. You know, as one of my buyers said day one, hey, Linda, we don't have cap sleeves. We don't have tank tops. We don't, we have long <laughs> sleeves, short sleeves, button down, non-button down, you know, tees and whatever. But, you know, it was, um, it was a different business, but really women's was my background and really was my love. And then, uh, so Phillips Van Hughes, and we had quite a few different brands and, um, and GH Bass was one of them. Um, the uh, Van Heusen brand was one. Izod was one of our brands. While I was there, they actually purchased Calvin Klein, um, actually finalizing it in the middle of one of my major budget meetings. <laughs> the chairman and the president get up and leave the room um, to finalize. It was kind of funny. But um, so they had a lot of different brands and each brand was unique. So I had a really great opportunity to get involved in a lot of different aspects of the business. And we had a really strong pant business in women's and we had different fits um, in pants. And it was at that time when like early 2000s, when low rise were really coming into um, fashion. 
and we wanted to make some major changes to our fit and, you know, working with a fit model. And we used a fit model who only uh, fit pants for us. She didn't do tops. We used somebody else. And it was a really interesting experience because we used her belly button as a guide on how low the rise could be. And then, you know, six or eight months later, the pants come into stock and we buy them and try them on and realize, oh, that's fitting me a little bit different. And particularly me, because I am five foot seven, long-waisted, but I have short legs. Um, and I'm a 30-inch inseam, um, not a 31 or 32. My height is um, all in my torso. And so ankle pants um, really are what fit me the best. Um, so it's interesting how we're just all so unique. And yet, you know, in the retail world, they try to create product kind of one size fits all, you know, um, or so much for the masses. So it's important for the individual, you know, for a woman to know what works for them. So if I buy an ankle pant, I don't have to shorten it. If I buy a regular length pant, I have to shorten it. And I think there was a lot that's happened, you know, in the pant world with a lot of different fits. We have a curvy fit, you have a slim fit, a slim leg, you know, there's so many different fits that I think make it easier um, for somebody to be able to, to buy something and wear it without the alterations. Um, you know, the online, you know, has certainly, um, you know, impacted the returns, um, you know, for retailers, because you may have a, what they call a parenthetical when you're reading copy either online, or if you do get a catalog from say a Sundance or an Athleta or whomever, and it might say a medium is an eight slash 10. Well, everybody eight slash 10 is a little bit different. And so sometimes when particularly free returns, and I think Zappos taught a lot of women to do this, you buy two, you buy maybe the small and the medium and you keep one. So from the store's perspective, the returns are 50%, they're gonna get one back. But from the consumer standpoint, at least you have something you're going to wear and something that fits you. Um, so, you know, that has really, I think, changed a lot. And there are times that I'm cautious about buying something online. Like I once said I would never buy shoes online. I have to try them back, try them on. But I do buy shoes online. And most of the time I'm in the right size, sometimes not. Um, I do buy pants online, but sometimes they don't fit. Um, and sometimes they do, you know, so sometimes if it's a brand or a store that, you know, that you're more comfortable with that, um, you know, you'll kind of take the plunge and place that order. Um, after um, uh, working for GH Bass, um, I kind of wanted to get out of the New York area. We had a couple of um, really two back to back cold winters. And even though I had a really warm coat waiting on that train platform in the morning and then, you know, back at night wasn't really um, what, where I saw my life at that time of my lifestyle. <laughs> and, I had, and I had an opportunity um, to move to Tucson, Arizona, which is where I met Melody. And Yay. yeah, and we started actually building a second home to retire to someday. And then when that came about, you know, we originally we told the builder, don't rush. And then it was like, okay, rush. But, you know, he did it on his normal timeline. And so I found myself working for a catalog company. And that was really different. You know, we did all different sizes. We did petites, we did misses, we did plus size. 
um, and returns were a huge issue. You know, at that point, that was around 2005, you know, the catalog business was really what our mainstay was um, and online was really starting to take off. But, um, you know, they're buying it sight unseen and it, you know, was the returns could really kill a company because they have to recycle the returns. And sometimes you may buy something and think, oh, this looks like it was a return, maybe how the bag was sealed, how it was folded. And chances are it could have been, you know, they do a lot of things in the warehouse to refresh garments before they do put it, you know, uh, back into good inventory. Um, but, you know, the fit was really so critical. So there were things like um, shirtwaist dresses that, you know, we, um, if we might do it in petite and, and in Missy, so we had two options for a consumer. We didn't do talls because talls was a small segment of the population, or at least that's what our info told us. And we couldn't be everything to everyone. So we were able to cater a little bit, you know, by having petites and missy. But styles like fit and flair were generally bestsellers because they were um, for, very forgiving. You know, they would fit several different body types. And, you know, a dress that might have a, a specific flounce that may have had a scallop or, you know, a special fabric on the bottom, we really would think long and hard because if someone needed to shorten it, you know, they would have to bring it to alterations unless they were very talented. And then they would cut the top of the, remove the flounce, cut the dress and pull, pull up the flounce. Um, so it was all able to be done. It was just an expense. And a lot of women didn't feel like they wanted to um, go through that expense to do that. So, you know, we try to have um, fashion and yet also try to make it a little bit more for the masses. Um, and, you know, in that, um, in that company, it was interesting because I, I started as a divisional merch. Well, actually, I started in sourcing and Sourcing is really where, how the product gets purchased or gets developed. Um, you have buyers or designers. In New York, when I was with um, GH Bass, we had a design team. And then we had a separate sourcing team. And we would turn over what they call the technical um, packs, the technical design packages to them, which were all the specifications, how they would grade it, you know, which the grading is. Um, adding to, from a, a size, say, four, going all the way up through maybe a 16. Um, and sometimes it's a specific uh, measurement, like length might be a half inch in a dress from size to size. Not always. And not all measurements were equal. Um, but, you know, they were technicians in that. And I'm not even going to get into that because math was never my thing. Um, but, you know, I was in charge of sourcing. And we would take those packages, travel overseas, work with factories um, to develop the best product we could for the price point that we needed it to be. Um, and sometimes we would source it in multi-countries, um, multi-factories to get the best. And it wasn't always the cheapest because it was really about the best quality for the best price for the consumer. You know, uh, my goal has always been for to over, uh, not to, to um, under promise, over deliver, you know? There you go. So 
you know, if it looked good in the photograph that they were purchasing online, which um, there's a lot that can be done and fixed in, in catalog and in online photos. But so that when she got it, it was an aha, this is better than I thought it would be. And that was always really my mantra. When a buyer would say to me, this isn't bad, I would say, but is it good? You know, there's mm -hmm. two different things between it's not bad. I don't want it's not bad stuff, you know, in our assortment. I want what's really good. And, you know, and the fifth thing is not even just a shirtwaist dress or the opposite in the pants. It could be tops. You know, there's tops that have, you know, flounces or it could be the sleeve length. Um, you know, might be too short. So it's it's really through the garment. And, you know, if I were to buy talls and have everything altered, it's pretty costly. And, you know, you and I'm not saying I haven't done that. Um, and probably the last dress I ever bought that I knew didn't fit, that had a waist, um, I just loved it. So I spent a lot of money on a three inch wide belt and I thought would cover it up, but it was so uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. and, and that's you know, what they they need to know that because I've had dress designers tell me oh it's no big deal they just take the belt off and get a different belt wider and wear it over yeah but I yeah if it's uncomfortable not gonna work right and so um you know so I probably wore the dress once I recently gave the belts away that I probably wore twice um and it just was uncomfortable and you know you want to be comfortable. That little um, little factoid: when you do buy a dress in a store or online, and there are these little belt loops that are holding the belt on, they're not necessarily strategically placed. They put them on in the factory to attach the belt to the dress. So they really should be cut off, unless it's a fabric one. But if it's that little string kind of yarn one, um, or um, just cut them off because they really detract. But a lot of people, you know, think that it's where it should be. And one might be higher than the other. You know, it's they're not careful about how they do that. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, you know, so that that was one of my pet peeves. Just cut those cut those things off. Yeah. But exactly. yeah, but there's yeah, but there's a lot, you know, I am being a merchant. And I think there's a difference from being a merchant and a buyer. A buyer really just buys, but a merchant really understands all of the um, aspects of the business, um, has a business plan because as a buyer, you're responsible um, to meet a sales goal and meet a profit goal. At the end of the day, you know, we're no um, business, um, retail business is really a nonprofit. You may have a thrift store or something from a church or from an organization, but you know um, all of the major retailers are for profit. And so you have to know where you can maybe cut your profit, um, you know, what's going to impact it, markdowns, you know, do returns do, and really keep all of those um, as at a minimum, you know, so that you can really grow a business. And there's you know, when I would get product, when I was a buyer and you would get product in the store um, at that time and, you know, to see it on the sales floor and, and it was your baby, you know, a lot of times it was something that was kind of in your head, working with a vendor, working with the design team. Um, and then to see it sell uh, was pretty amazing. You know, the one thing I learned when I went from one specialty chain, we had 30 stores 
And um, I was interviewing at Lane Bryant and they had 300 stores. And one of the questions that was asked to me, how do you transition from 30 stores to 300? Um, it's not just, you know, 10 times. And, but it is and it isn't. But what I learned at Lane Bryant, if something was good in say Maine, it was great in California, it was great in uh, Des Moines. If something was bad, it was bad everywhere. You know, you may have a seasonality issue that um, uh, something that was a resort that came into the stores in um, say in December, November, December was more popular in say warm climates. And we used to do that, you know, ship things to warm climates versus the cold, cold climate. But it was amazing how if it was good one place, it was good everywhere and bad just as well. I used to call those dogs and sometimes those dogs were pretty loud. <laughs> we only have about four minutes left before we have to go to commercial break, but um, go ahead <laughs> from where you were from the dogs. Yeah, and I agree, some, by the way. Oh, yeah. gosh. Some of them barked pretty loud. Absolutely. And, you know, and I have the buyers and I don't think they really liked it, but sometimes we would just hang those up in their offices just to see. Yeah. Um, yeah. To see, is there some commonality? Yes. Or when we went into a retail store, we would look at the sale racks. And, yes. you know, sometimes when the sale racks were sized, you can just see that the sizing was was the problem in those stores that, you know, they either didn't have, uh, they maybe had too many small sizes, not enough larger sizes, right. but to be able to learn from it, you know, and it's not Absolutely. throwing anything in anyone's face, but, you know, it's a learning and growing experience. Every retailer has markdowns planned into their budget. And, you know, we know it's not all going to work, but you just try to keep all of that to a minimum as you can. And the sizing, you know, sometimes really, um, just uh, was, it was just so blatant when you walked into a store and you were trying to buy something you couldn't and everything was too small or too large. Yeah, I remember John did that with a dress buyer once, hung up all of the dresses that were selling really well and then right beside them, all the dresses that were not selling at all were doing very mm -hmm. poorly. And then after eliminating the idea about how they fit, you know, taking those, oh, this was just a problem with fit or whatever. What was it? What was it? What is it? You know, what, what's, what about the two looks? And, you know, most of the time back then, when this is when we were at Charles A. Stevens, and I realize I have a minute left, but it was usually, um, they were wanting something more modern and some of the dresses mm -hmm. were just too traditional or just too old hat or it didn't look like anything new. You know, it was just too, it wasn't new enough looking. And yeah. of course I was always pushing for higher in there, you know, too. And so that was another uh, thing I thought that needed to be done is just, you know, update the customer a little bit. Okay. Uh, uh, thank you for this part of it, Linda. We'll come back and have you on again right after the commercial break, which is going to be brief. We'll be right back. And maybe we'll talk a little bit more about this and the company that you opened just for golf mm -hmm. and Triangle Body Shape. So we'll be right back after the commercial break.
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. C. Melody Edmondson has created a book series, The Space of the Waste. The book series may be found on Amazon.com. You'll want to purchase book one first. Your fashion guide based on body shape and the space of the waste. This is a new method of measuring, including the first guidebook. There are a total of 19 volumes that focus on different body shapes and waist lengths and how to make the space of the waste work for you. Find the space of the waste guides on Amazon.com. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Connect with us, and we'll connect with you. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is on LinkedIn. Get the first word about happenings with the network, where our next live event will be, and what's up with our hosts. Look up Voice America on LinkedIn. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to The Space of the Waste. To reach the show today, call in to 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to the space of the waste at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. We're back and welcome for coming back. And we are the space of the waste. I'm your host, Melody Edmondson, and we have Linda Rompel on today. And now I would like for her to elaborate a little bit on the company that she opened after she left other people's companies. Linda, will you tell us what that was? Sure. So somewhere along the way, um, I've always been a a fitness person and I was a runner um, in about 30 years. Well, in the late 90s into the early 2000s. And I thought about opening up a company um, that would be running related. And I couldn't figure it out. You know, how do I go up against the Nikes of the world or the Brooks or the Asics? You know, I wasn't looking at shoes. I was really thinking about fashion. But I thought, you know, I couldn't really quite figure it out. And I never up until that point had ever wanted to own my own company. I wanted to work for big companies, play with their money. And, you know, and then it's kind of started to percolate with me. And then in 2000, I took up golf. And it was really when I was with uh, Phillips Van Heusen and I was a vice president and we would go out to uh, Scottsdale um, for our budget meetings. And 
because Izod was a golf brand, we and the, the corporate president was a golfer, um, we had this big tournament. And so I said, I kept playing at golf and taking it up, giving it up, taking it up, giving up, because my husband at the time was a golfer. And then when that happened and I was invited to the, um, this meeting and to the tournament, I said, okay, I'm gonna try one more time. So I did, and then I loved it. I found a great instructor and her name was Barbara Bolton. And if I never found her, I never would have started just for golf, which is kind of, it's funny how things happen. And so in about 2000, I guess it was, I think about 2010, um, then I had this idea of starting a golf accessory cover company. Um, and it was really geared to women and it was doing knitted head covers, which are the covers you put on top of um, fairway woods and drivers and putters. And I started doing some concept boards and I pitched it to um, some people and showed it to Melody and her husband, John and to a few other people and they thought I had really a concept. And I realized through um, my product development teaching, you know, that I really had a lot of contacts. You know, a friend's husband was a freight forwarder to, to um, transport my product from Asia. I had some agents and friends in Hong Kong to source the product. So I started it and I was still working at that time full time. I was working for the catalog company and um, I got my sister, who was a graphic designer, to do my catalog and then, you know, went to my first big trade show, the PGA Merchandise Show, which is the Professional Golf Association show in Orlando, Florida in January, um, which is a big expense. And, you know, my, my now ex-husband, then husband said, are you crazy? This is so expensive. And I said, this is prime time. And if I'm going to make it, I have to go. And my sister, who was um, doing my uh, graphic design, we hired a photographer that was a friend of hers and um, to do the photography or someone she used for business. So I had a lot of different people out there to, um, to help me or in the, in the project. And my sister was really, it was, a, it was a, a gift of love to me, you know, for her doing it. She never thought I was gonna have the business as long as I did. You know, I think it was three years later. She said, Linda, I didn't think this was going to last. You know, I was like, she's working full time and she's doing my stuff at night and on weekends. And um, but it was actually a great thing because it brought us closer together. We talked almost every day, you know, so it turned out to be wonderful. Really thing. So um, so um, that was a, a fun company. Uh, we developed a website. About 80% of our business was wholesale that we sold to pro shops, you know, golf courses um, throughout the country, um, as well as some of the re golf retailers. And, you know, there were, uh, we got into PGA Superstore, which was a big box store and a couple of other regional kind of big box stores. Um, you know, that took a little while because I had, a, uh, and I had a few battle scars on me, you know, at that point. Um, but it was, it was fun. It was really a lot of fun. And, you know, we had a lot of core products on the line. And then every season, we did two seasons a year, pretty much a fall and a spring, summer. And we, um, I would add new product to it. But it was all about, you know, um, really fun, something that would relate to a woman. And it was disposable fashion in my eyes. Um, we started adding Swarovski crystals. That, that was like a brainstorm type of thing that happened when I was at PGA show. And Swarovski had a booth near us. And they'd never been there before. 
And I started talking to them when we were setting up and I had a couple of gals who worked for me there um, setting up my booth and I had, had them go over and look and, and they told me, yeah, I think it's a great idea. I think they thought I had rocks in my head. <laughs> I, I had no idea how we were gonna fix these to the head covers, how we were gonna do it but I thought it was a great idea. And it really turned out to be a great idea. Yes. The first season, you know, I bought enough crystals to do 600 and we were actually had people kind of a little cottage industry in Tucson who were fixing them. And we sold about 3000. So wow. it was like, yeah. And it became a really core part of the line, but it was a lot of fun. And then my retail back, my apparel background kind of crept in there. And it's like, not saying I was done with what we were doing, but is there a place for a um, really a category retailer to do things a little bit differently? And so we, I put together a line with someone I had worked with before. He was the factory piece. Um, it was made in the USA. So we weren't the cheapest, but I had control. We didn't have to buy huge quantities up front. Um, and I started with doing some sports and doing some dresses. And the interesting, we started with two different uh, body bodies in dresses, which were the styles, you might call them bodies. And both of them were without waists. And I think it was just because of me. <laughs> um, I wanted something that was pretty universal. Um, one had a flounce at the bottom. They were all both different, different necklines. And we did them in about 10 different prints each. And it's amazing sometimes how a different print takes on a totally different look in the garment. Um, and we had a really great response um, from the buyers. Some of them wouldn't buy it the first season because they didn't know me and my background for apparel. Um, and you have to, in that industry, put in a little bit of time and have a little bit of patience um, sometimes to get the buyer to um, place an order with you. But some of them really did step out. And we had a really good response and we just did things differently. I did it designed for women by women, women, which is one of my taglines, um, you know, for any golfer or any woman who wears a skirt, you know, there's a little short underneath the skirt and generally they're white or black. We did them in the print, the same print as the dress. So That's if it shows, idea. you know, it looks a little different. I made sure the pockets were the right in the right place to be flattering and functional. Um, and, you know, then we uh, came up to season two and I sold the company. <laughs> there we go. Well, we only have about 17 minutes left. Uh, but Linda, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show today, today and sharing all of your astute wisdom. And um, I want to talk a little bit about triangle body shape, since you are a triangle and you are taller triangle body shape with a long waist. I want to talk a little bit about that because it's all about proportion and scale. I and we we know that the triangle is like sort of like the triangle where the ab the shoulders are narrower than the hips. Okay, that's. That's the main thing about the bone structure of a triangle body shape. And I have always thought that my idea and what I have in my books is that there's two great ways to dress that body. One is to just use that waistline always as an asset and always, and I love the idea of keeping the top small and tiny and then taking 
big pleated skirts or crystal pleated skirts and big wide belts with, hey, now you can wear tennis shoes, but it used to be heels or flats with those long skirts. And you can do those skirts in any and every color that you want. And the ditto with the tops, if you do that philosophy and or sometimes dress that way. The other way to me is really the three color way. Whereas you keep the light colors on the top, the dark colors on the bottom, and you put like a white jean jacket over like a red or a bright colored shirt or whatever your color story is for your hair and your skin tone, whatever colors are best for you, white or ivory, but the lighter color on the top and then put a black bottom with it, like a black fit and flare trouser. And I have for my trousers, the best trousers are the straight legged pant or the where Tim Gunn's favorite, where it goes straight from the hip down and also the fitted and flared trouser. Um, again, with proportion, I love that the top, most of the time with the top, you wouldn't want to cut it and you wouldn't want to cut it in and you wouldn't want to do a halter because all of those are things that make your shoulders look even smaller. But what make your shoulders look broader are like bandos or straight cut tops or at sleeves or cap sleeves versus tanks that have little puffy shoulders or something you can add a shoulder pad in to kind of balance it with your hips. Um, I think that the uh, that's the three color story, the dark on the bottom, the light on the top and or whatever color story you want to do. If you want to do brights, that's another way to do it. But the pants should be the darker color just because it's minimizing. And that is, again, for extreme triangles. I'm not saying if you're 28 in the shoulders and 52 in the hips and long-waisted that you should make your shoulders 52 inches. I'm not saying that at all, but you could make them 32 or, you know, 32 or 33 or even 31 and make them a more pronounced shoulder than you may already have. Uh, but that doesn't matter if you're doing a big full skirt because no one can see underneath your skirt. So again, I do like that. And I think in patterns, if you're tall and tallish, like five, five and over tallish, you can do any colors that you want to do if you have a long waist or a balanced waist. What happens is what you get in trouble is when you're short-waisted. If you're a short-waisted triangle, um, it's a lot like being a short-waisted hourglass or, and it's very similar to that, except that your hips and sometimes your butt, your thighs and your hips are wider. So with that, you're short-waisted. So you cannot wear a belt. You cannot wear a seam across your waist. If you want to look your very best, I'm talking about looking your very, very best. Upon occasion, if you wanted to do something that doesn't align with what I say, you're not, I don't think you're going to look your best, but you can do it. You know, I do think that the short-waisted women are better just staying with longer, leaner tops, longer, leaner jackets, and jackets that cover uh, the button thighs. And they come down and they're straight with absolutely no pockets, or if you must, a vertical lined pocket, like a B-SOM buttonhole uh, pocket that uh, is vertical in its length. And you can do layering, you can 
I would just make them long and lean, you know, a seven eighth length vest over a t-shirt and a, um, or a tunic and your long maxi skirts and midi skirts for the short waisted I'm talking about because you're elongating the silhouette and you're skewing, you're skewing the eye away from the waist is what you're doing. And another great thing you can do as a short waist is to, with your coats, they must be straight lined if you wanna look your best. And they have to have a little bit of flare. Uh, well, they don't have to, but they can have some flare. They can have some flounce, but primarily they are straighter lined. Straighter to fuller, depending again on the width of your bottom half. If you're not that much wider on the bottom, like say only four or five inches bigger than your top, maybe you could get by with shoulder pads and a straight line coat. But otherwise, go with a, f a fuller on the bottom, but don't have the it have a belt. Have it be somewhat fitted and flared. And you can do designs on the back of coats. That's another great thing to do is you can even buy a jacket somewhere that you like when it has the emblem on the back or the embroidery and super and have your seamstress stow it on, show it, throw it on and sew it on a long lean black jacket as an alternative. Printed coats are another idea for you that are good. Long lean scarves for the short-waisted triangle are very important because they uh, kind of elongate the body and it's a way for you to add color because if you're short-waisted, I do like the backdrop dressing still, which is primarily dark, black, navy, chocolate, dark gray. Black is my favorite and it depends on your skin tone and what you look good in and your hair color, but basically your skin tone. And then you can add your long lean scarf, your long lean necklace or a necklace that uh, is a statement piece. And you can do, you can know, you can add a vest, a long vest, long and lean. And you can, you can, uh, when you're short-waisted, you can do, uh, long, full, tiered skirts of any kind you want with um, a longer, leaner top. And if you do want to layer a jacket over it, you could put a denim jacket or a leather jacket. I did find out from one friend of mine, uh, Giselle Sippen, when I was living in Cal California, Northern California, that uh, when I put on my black pants and my black jacket, I can, well, I could back then. I'm not sure. I wouldn't do it now because I was at my very thinnest then, but at that, and I say that because I'm short-waisted. Okay. And I have large boobs. So to wear a jacket and then wear an elongated tank top underneath it, particularly in the summer, that was California. If you have the top a different color than the pant, the top will show up more and that'll create a line break. Then you could put on say a printed pattern shorter jacket and one of the colors is picked up in that tank top. I could get by with that then. Now I don't feel good in it because I don't want my butt hanging out and my hips. I just don't at, at my size and age right now, but it can certainly be done if you're super, super, super fit and everything's very tight, I think you could do that still. But there's no belts, 
and there's no fitted and flared and all the skirts have to be flat in the front and flat in the back. Now you can take a jacket that's shorter and I've done this a few times and you can add like a point in the front, create in the short jacket, like a little point on either side of the bottom button on the sides of the jacket bodice. And then the back, you can add fabric to create, oh, a long jacket in the back or even a, a scarf weight silk uh, Georgette and create like, you know, like a tailcoat of a sort or just as a bunch of fabric gathered and hanging in the back so that that covers up your backside. That is a, a great look. And I love those shirts that they did a couple of years ago where they had a long back and a short in the front. I could actually do those with long lean scarves, but I couldn't particularly do it without that. Or I had to add something to the front of the jackets. I have a short jacket now that's short in the back and long in the front. I just wear a tunic. And with that, I wear black pants and a black tunic and it's just fine. We're just about running out of time, but I wanted to ask Linda, since she's on here today, what I might have missed for triangle body shape long-waisted, since that's what you are and you're 5'7", what are, do you have certain resources that you buy from or designers are your go-to or are there certain silhouettes? I know you said the ankle pant, uh, like a boot cut ankle pant almost as like a regular length pant for you, right? Yes. Um, I say when it comes to dresses, what I really find the most comfortable and flattering, I think are a fit and flare. Okay. You know, they're a little bit more fitted on the top and flare in the skirt. Um, or With some no defined waist. Right. Except or for the fit. Right, or a sheath dress, you yes. know, and then with a sheath, if I want to put a belt, after I remove any of those strings that might be on it, you know, yeah. um, then, you know, I can put a belt and it could be a narrow belt. It could be a wider belt. Mm -hmm. um, those are probably when I look back to the dresses that are in my closet and the ones that I wear the most um, are the most flattering. Okay. In my opinion. Yeah. And you mentioned the empire for, uh -huh. you know, when you were, you know, dressing up more than Tucson, but not, right. that you can, not that you can't dress up in Tucson. I always say <laughs> bloom where you're planted, be who you are, wherever you are, regardless of other people, how they dress. But I do think uh, what I don't like on triangle body shape that I would stay away from uh, is anything that's going to make you look longer on the top and even shorter on the bottom. Like to me, mm -hmm. capri pants, forget it. They just cut you right, make you even shorter. There are a few, <clears throat> Linda, you would know how to do it. You'd probably wear a different colored top and make it <clears throat> a little bit midway instead of all the way to your waist or something. And you could skew it so you still have that two-third, one-third um, beautiful divine proportion. But for the most part, elongating the legs, if you have short legs, is something that I think any body shape should do. And if you have a short waist, you've also got to elongate your waist. But if you're already long-waisted, like Linda is, uh, do you have any trouble with finding t-shirts long enough or blouses? Um, sometimes I do, you know, and I, some of it's a fashion, you know, when, when all the tops were cropped. 
um, they were way too cropped for me. But if I really liked something and then maybe I put a tank underneath that that was a little longer to layer it, yeah, uh, you know, that worked. So, you know, and some of it's, it's the fashion. Not every fashion is for everybody. That's right. And, you know, that's one thing that um, a lot of women don't know. Right, <laughs> um, right. You can tell you by, know, yeah. Right. Just like when I was young, um, young, younger, um, and even yeah, you're young. As, right as a, um, in my starting career, I liked the shoe. I found a size that kind of fit me. Well, it may have been a half a size bigger um, and because then it was a little wider or whatever. And I don't have white feet, but, you know, you would because you wanted it, you bought it. And I learned on shoes not to do that. And I certainly pay the price for it now. Um, but with fashion, not every fashion is for everybody. And um, but, Good you know, we don't always. Right. But we don't always see ourselves the way others do. And mm -mm. one thing when I went to Lane Bryant. Um, that the, when I interviewed with the president, he said to me that when she looks in the mirror, she sees a size 10. She doesn't see her the way others see her. So we want to dress her so that she looks the best that she can. Absolutely. Uh, and I say that with any body shape that you have. And that's what I'm trying to do in my books is dress the very best that you can so you can forget about it and go on with your life. Be in front of a group of people when you're at work and feel very confident and beautiful and what you have on and the best that you can look, you know, other mm -hmm. times, if you don't care so much, eh, okay. But there's never that for me. I pretty much always want to look the best that I can, even when I'm hanging out at home. However, there are things that I like that are fashionable that aren't the best for me, like that short jacket and like the cropped top that I have on right now. And it's, okay if it's very stiff and boxy and I have a longer shirt underneath it in a different color than my pants I think it's kind of like that short jacket I make myself get by with it but it isn't it isn't the best thing I certainly wouldn't wear it if I wanted to look my very very best so any other tricks or tips <laughs> yeah I don't know I think um try to be you know uh if you don't think it's for you it's not right uh, trust your gut Trust right. your gut. I, I had a gal who worked for me and she was way too skimpy. Um, there was way too much flesh showing on a casual Friday. And I said something to her and she says, you know, I thought it wasn't. I says, when in doubt, don't. Don't. Okay. You know? We're going to have to sign off now. We've only got a couple of seconds here, but I want to say again, thank you very, 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 very much, Linda Rompel. And let's all of us um, be real about our body shapes, love our body, no matter what our bodies are. And, but don't pretend to ourselves that we're narrow hourglasses when we're not be who we are and dress the best for the body that we are. And that's all I have to say today. Thank you so much. Join us next Tuesday at 12 Pacific time. We will be here Tuesday is at 12 Pacific. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to The Space of the Waste. Please join host Melody Edmondson again next Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you next time.